you was a tax collector. Now, there's, there's two things you want. You want your physician to be in the details, correct? Well, I mean, you want him to, to observe everything. And you want your tax collector to not be in the details. Now, let's look at the two different stories here. And so over in the book of Luke, in chapter 5, here's what it says. So it was as multitudes of people were pressing about Jesus to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gerenson, or the Sea of Galilee. You may be more familiar with that. And he saw two boats and uh, at the edge of the lake, and the fishermen had left them. And they were up there on the bank, and they were mending their nets. They were cleaning their nets. And I, I never really understood this, but uh, I, I guess about four years ago, we took a group of college students to Peru, and we took them on a little excursion and, and went down in the, in the bay there, and there were little wooden fishing vessels, little, little wooden ones. I'm like, I didn't even think they made stuff like this anymore. And these little wooden fishing vessels, and sure enough, up on the bank under some covered pavilions, there were a bunch of fishermen, and they were cleaning their nets. And they were literally cleaning them and mending them. And man, it's just like this passage of scripture just came home for me. When I, you know, when I finally seen it, like real action. I mean, it's old school fishing right here. And so, uh, and, and, and so there they were. They were, they, Jesus approached and he was teaching all these people. And he looked and there were, there were two boats there. And uh, he, Jesus went up to one of them and he said, uh, he said, uh, can I take one of your little boats and go out into the water and uh, push us out there? And so they, they pushed Jesus off from the bank, and he borrowed a little fishing vessel from Simon, who would be later known as, you probably know him better, as Peter, and uh, pushed off there in the bank, and he began to teach. Jesus understood the natural amplification that God had provided, how water will carry your voice back to the land and almost make it sound like you're speaking over uh, a loudspeaker. And so as they went through this process, he was out there teaching. And when he got through teaching, he looked at Simon and he said, Hey, man, he said, uh, why don't we put our nets down? See if we can catch. And, and, and Peter says, and I want to read this for you here. He says, Oh, Master. He says, we, we've, we've taught all night. We've taught all night and we've caught nothing. We've worked hard all night long. But nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. And so when, when they did, uh, they caught a great number of fish, so much that their nets began to break. Jesus said, cast your nets into the deep, into the deep, into the deep waters and see what's out there. I always like to say a family of grace, you, you never know who you're sitting by, family of grace. When you cast your nets in the deep, you don't know what you're going to catch. You don't know what you're going to pull back. And if you're fishing around the banks, you pretty much know what you're going to catch. I mean, all the same little fish live around the banks, and you play it safe, stay close to the bank. But when you go into the deep, when you go into the deep, I mean, you just don't know what you're going to pull out of the deep waters. And so anyway, they pulled them in, and they, they had a signal for their partners because the nets were starting to break, the Bible says. And, and, I mean, can you see Luke giving some detail? I mean, I mean, poor old tax collector Matthew, he just says, there they were, and Jesus came walking by and said, hey, y'all want to go with me? And they said, sure, let's go be fishers of men. But Matthew, I mean, Luke, he gives us some detail to this story. 
And now here's where the other two guys come in. The Bible says that James and John were partners with Peter. I'm not making this up. It's right there in your Bible. They were partners in the fishing business with him. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute. And, and they said, don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. He says, uh, after they got their boats loaded down, they were about to sink. I mean, can you talk about a good catch? I mean, you got so many fish, your little wooden vessel is about to go under the water. And all of a sudden, as I was about to go under the water, he, he, he calls them, and, uh, and they're they helping him, and they're putting fish in the other boats, and they're passing the fish on down. Take one down, pass it around. Let's get these fish, make a chain line back to the bank. And, and Jesus says, hey, guys, don't be afraid. If you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And sure enough, the Bible says they left all and immediately followed him. Now, when we read one account, uh, we've debated this in sermon prep, and, uh, you know, that we, we, we want to think in our mind that these guys really knew about Jesus, but when you think about it, the whole ministry of Jesus was only three and a half years. And this was at the very beginning. I mean, he, this was his first disciples. He had nobody. It was just him and a bunch of ragamuffins following him around. There was no 70, there was no 12, and there was no three. It was just him. Just him there by himself, and he sees these guys, and they get through doing this, and he says, hey, man, you want to you come go with me? It says they left all and followed him. Now, there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about this. Number one, louder than words. Number one, louder than words, uh, is that I don't believe it was the sermon that Peter heard preached that changed his perspective. I believe it was the fact that he was a seasoned fisherman. And had toiled all night. And had went home skunked. Had caught nothing. Matter of fact, he tells Jesus, Master, we worked hard all night long. I mean, we didn't just uh, uh, piddle around out here. We were working hard. We were trolling. We were laboring. We were intensely involved in the fishing. And we, we, we caught nothing. But nevertheless... Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. And then Peter says something interesting. He says, forgive me. I am a sinful man that I doubted you. I'm going to tell you something that was unique. In the same waters that had come up empty for Peter and James and John and Andrew was now bountiful for Jesus. And it got their attention. And I believe that single action was so much louder to those four fishermen than anything Jesus had been saying previously. And so it got their attention. And then we see another dynamic here. We see that, that, family, that, that family abandonment dynamic. Now I use the word abandon here because their family had to feel abandoned. I mean, after all, Simon's father has two boys that are growing up, and, and uh, man, they're in the fishing business, and, you know, he, uh, uh, his, he probably dreamed about the day that he'd be in business with his boys. And dream, you know, his father probably started off with one little fishing vessel, and then he had a boy, and then he had another boy, and he began to think, man, you know what, one day we could have a big fishing industry, and you know what, that day was here. 
He didn't just have, it just wasn't one little boat. It wasn't like Simon, Peter, and Andrew just had a boat and they were in this thing by themselves and, and they got this idea of reckless abandonment and said, you know what, I'll just sell my little boat on eBay and, and uh, we'll, we'll go on about our business. No harm, no foul. No, this dad had been dreaming his whole life probably for this moment. Had been building up and probably every moment they came, he thought, man, well, maybe we can get another boat today. And it grew to the point that it was no longer just a boat for the father and just a boat for, for Simon and just a boat for Andrew. But now they have partners in the fishing business named James and John and their father named Zebedee. I mean, we're talking about a pretty good operation. And they said, nevertheless, at your word, we're going to leave it. You know that father had to be aban- feel abandoned. I'll tell you because the concept of family business in biblical days was a big thing. It's a big thing today. I know people today that when their children wanted to go their own way and live their own life and didn't want to be part of the family business, some of them still aren't speaking today. Then on the other hand, I know children that were not courageous enough to pursue their own destiny and went and did what was, what was required of them and they lived their whole life in resentment. Matter of fact, I remember as a, as a, as a young teenager hearing my grandfather make this statement one day. He said we were talk, he was talking about family, family farms. And he says most family farms won't survive three generations. He says, because one had the passion for it, the second one felt stuck on the farm, and the third one resented it and lost it or sold it or something of the nature. And then if you put that in the business with in the dynamic of family businesses, most of them are the same way. Whether it's a farm, whether it's a cabinet shop, whether it's a, a, a car dealership or whatever it is, most of them, if you look at them, will not go past three generations of family ownership. And if they do go past three generations of family ownership, I bet you it's not three generations of family management. It's grown to the point where somebody else has come in and is managing the business and the family is just the beneficiary of it and they're giving the royalties off of it. And and, and the stock, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Now let's take that a step further. It's almost the same thing for the churches. Most churches won't outlive three generations of people, three total generations. Somebody had a passion somewhere along the way to do something that was courageous, that was, was, was overwhelming with a faith and dynamic and passion, and they passed it down, and they passed it down. And what happens is, here's a dynamic, is that you get, no matter whether it's a church, a business, or what it is, you get too far away from the fire that started it. And then they're just keepers of the fire. And they don't want to feel that passion. And, and just interesting. I, I, it doesn't have a lot to do with my sermon, but it's an interesting dynamic. Now, now Peter did something courageous. Andrew did something courageous. They surrendered their family. Matter of fact, in about three weeks, we'll look at a sermon where Jesus says, unless you hate your family, you can't follow me. Now, if you look that word hate up in the Greek there, it literally means to love less than me. And follow me. Follow me. 
And so in this dynamic, what they were doing is not necessarily abandoning, because when we think about abandoning, we think about, we think about the child or the dad or the mom who don't want anything to do with their children, don't want anything to do with their family, and they walk away, and they never support them, and they never do anything. That's not really what we're talking about. More than abandon, we're really talking about surrender. Surrendering it. And you see, what these guys were doing is not only were they surrendering the family, but they were surrendering the family identity. And they were saying, you know what? I am no longer going to be associated as Andrew the fisherman, as James the fisherman, as John the fisherman, as Simon the fisherman. But I am going to be associated in a whole new dynamic. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, this is a whole lot more common than you realize. Let some young person begin to explore what it is that God's wanting to do in their life, and they begin to pursue their own identity in a good way. I'm not talking about in a bad way. In a good way, and watch how uptight family members get. Am I the only one to know some folks? Not only were they surrendering this identity. I mean, I mean, these guys were somebody. We, we already talked about that it wasn't just a one little fishing boat operation here. I imagine they had vendors. They had people they would sell to. Probably when they walked into the market, people who knew, knew who they were. They were people of influence. They were people who could make a difference. And they walked away from all that identity, from all of that which allowed them to surrender that identity, to give it up. To surrender is something completely different than abandoning. Let's just talk about it in these terms. If you surrender, if you, uh, if you have something you can't pay for, you have a, a house or something, you can't pay for that house, and you just abandon it, you just walk off and leave it, just forget about it. Our city is filled with abandoned houses. People just walk away from them. They just leave it. Walk away. That means you're taking no responsibility for something that you couldn't, over, you couldn't manage. But if you go the next step and you surrender it. Now, maybe you can't handle it. Maybe you can't pay for it. Maybe you can't attain it. But because you surrender it, you go to a person who can help you. You go to your lender. You go to somebody like that. And you say, guys, I'm over my head. I can't make this happen. But I tell you what, I am willing to surrender this to you. And I am willing to pay the difference. I am willing to do what I said I was going to do if you will help me. There's a complete different dynamic in just walking away and abandoning something. And then surrendering something and saying, I still find value in it. See, I don't believe these guys were saying, the fishing business has no more value. I don't believe they were saying, Daddy, I don't love you. Daddy, I don't care what you want. I don't believe these things. I don't know what they were saying is, Dad, we're surrendering this back to you. But this is what God's doing in your life. But here's something in our life. And in doing that, they were no longer identified with. Matter of fact, we've heard family members make some statements like this. Well, if you walk away, then you need to change your name. You ever knew a family that had different spellings of their last names? Well, I'll move on from that, but you can read between the lines. Not only did they abandon their identity, but they, they uh, surrendered their identity, but they were surrendering their security. Now, as I said earlier in my sermon, that, that the fishing business was, I mean, it was a good way to make a living. 
I mean, they weren't in the bread line in the fishing business because they, number one, they had probably all the fish they could eat. And, and, and as you think about this, but it was security. It was security. It was a good thing. And it was something that was stable. Their dad had required many boats, and it wasn't just on what they could catch, but it was to the power of at least five or six. We know that they weren't out there by themselves in just one boat. Because they signaled to their partners in the fishing business, and they all they didn't say they signaled to their friends that were fishermen. They signaled to their partners. Now there was a lot of, there's a lot of security in that. Now, I'm gonna tell you today, many people won't follow what God's calling them to do because of this issue of security. Look, I'm not even talking about leaving your business, leaving your job, leaving your occupation and going into the ministry. I'm just talking about being courageous in the one you're in. A preacher, I can't say anything. I can't do this. I can't do that. What we need today is for our actions to speak louder than the words. No matter what we are, if we're an auto mechanic, if we're a carpenter, if we're a groundskeeper, if we're a zookeeper, if we're a banker, if we're a butcher, if we're a baker, if we're an architect, no matter what we are, that our actions may speak louder than our words. Listen, I'm not saying that you have to find a new occupation, but for the love of all that's good and decent, don't be a banker. Be a Christian that is glorifying God as a banker. I was having this conversation with someone the other day who was struggling about what they were going to do with their life and what am I going to do with my life what am I going to do with all this and I said hey, it's simple this is what you're supposed to do with your life all of us to glorify, to glorify God we are put on earth to glorify God then there's a blank that follows that as what I'm going to glorify God as this. If you are in this position, then you have your sphere of influence in that realm. And you can walk that out in whatever you're doing to the next level so that God can be glorified right where you are. And that you can minister to people right where you are. And let your actions speak louder than your words. I mean, in your cubicle, on your floor, at your work, in your bay in your field, in your garden, are people intrigued and inquiring about this newfound love that you have for God? And they asking you questions, not because you've got a big old book sitting on your desk, not because you walk around with a pocket of the tracks called the Four Spiritual Laws, not because you're walking around and telling everybody you either need to turn or burn, get right or get left. I, not none of that stuff. Just because you're right there fleshing out the gospel in such a way that when they see you respond to criticism, that they're intrigued and say, wow, I can't believe the way that person responded. When they see you respond to crisis in your family, they say, wow, I can't believe the way that person responded. Now, I know it's hard. I know sometimes you just want a hall pass to knock the head off of somebody, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about walking in the Spirit so you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, I'm going to come back and make this point here. You say, what does that have to do with security? A lot. A lot of us just want to fit in. 
Because we're scared if we allow the love of Christ to ooze from our life, then others will be uncomfortable around us, and that may jeopardize where we are in our standing for promotion or status quo. Security. And because of security, we're not willing to be a Christian that is blank. Matter of fact, if you ask 80% of people, I, I tell you what, if you don't believe me, try this non-scientific study. This week, ask people, who are you? And write down number one, number two, number three. Ask people, who are you? And I would just about bet you that you say, man, the preacher's betting while he's preaching. Woo-hoo, it's crazy church. I would just about bet you that 80% of them, give or take 1% or 2%, because it's non-scientific here, that most of them will tell you, well, I'm a carpenter. Well, I'm a mechanic. Well, I'm a baker. I'm a chef. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. When you ask most people who they are, they will automatically tell you what they do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being a child of God that glorifies God as what you do. Now that's the easy one. And let me give you the next part of security abandonment. Most people won't follow the call of God on their life because of security. Because they're like, man, oh my goodness, I feel like God's calling me into the ministry. And, and man, there's no way we can be in the ministry. Man, all preachers are broke. There's no way you can be in the ministry. And security has a way of moving in this dynamic. And, and, and it's either one or two categories for preacher. You're either wealthy, wealthy, and everybody hates you. Or you're really poor, and everybody pities you. So it's one or the other. And, and, and that dynamic, and people's like, well, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Isn't it amazing that people can make lateral moves and nobody will think anything of it? Lateral. You know what I'm talking about, lateral. Same status, same money. You just move straight over. Isn't it amazing that people can make vertical moves? They can move upward and nobody will press in on them and say, now boy, are you sure God's in that? I mean, think about that, whether it's a preacher or whatever it is. I mean, well, man, if, if, if you're going to get more money, God's got to be in it. What if staying is the new going where God wants you right there? But isn't it amazing that anytime somebody says, man, God's calling me to do this, and well, I'm going to have to take a pay cut to do it. Oh, now, brother, have you prayed about that? Oh, sister, are you sure God's telling you to do that? I remember one time, this guy who was my mentor, he's going on to heaven, but his wife, Miss Johan, told me, she said, well, just one day, Bill, just one day I would love for a preacher to call me and say he took a church for less money. So when we started Family of Grace, I didn't have a check. I called her up. I said, guess what? I quit and I don't even have a check. She said, finally. 70 years old, lived her whole life. Where's God? It seems like our actions never speak louder than words by going the opposite way and pouring our life out and walking this thing out in the flesh and trusting God to abound in a mighty way. 
that we would trust God and surrender our identity and say, Lord, Lord, please let my identity not be in who I, in what I do, but God, let my identity be in you. What Alexandria needs more than anything is a church that is filled with people who are not walking out. What's the next best thing for me to get ahead? But God, how can I glorify you? Not what it's going to fit in my culture. Not what's going to help my cause. God, what is going to let your kingdom come and let your will be done? That we might enlist people to be citizens of heaven more than trying to enlist them to be members of our church. Men of courage, women of courage. That are willing to say, God, my identity is safer in your hands than it is mine. God, my security is safer in your hands than it is mine. God, my family is safer in your hands than it is mine. And then these guys, ultimately they just surrender their lives. And I'm going to tell you today, church. <clears throat> when this trail of boats made it back to the bank. And there were so many fish in them, they were about to sink. Jesus didn't have to pull any manipulation on them. He didn't say, Peter, uh, man, if you'll, if you'll come go with me, I'll give you a sign-on bonus. He didn't get back to the bank and say, hey, guys, uh, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you want to go with me, would you raise your hand? Now, now, if you raise your hand, would you pray this prayer and say, now, Lord, I'm going to leave my fishing company and go follow this crazy man that nobody really knows. He performed an action that was louder than come follow me. Come, come follow me was just an invitation to go where I'm going. And they were so overwhelmed by the power of the action of Jesus that they were captivated by the Savior that would soon become the Messiah. And I'm going to tell you what spoke louder than anything was when those little boats pushed up on the bank. Peter and Andrew went in their house and tent, whatever they lived in, and gathered up a little knapsack. I'm sure they didn't have a North Face backpack to load up, but they gathered up a little knapsack and slung it over their back and said, Hey, Pop. We're going to go with this man. And when those grown men and those sons of Zebedee put knapsacks over their shoulder and started walking down that dusty road, step by step, leaving behind a predetermined legacy to embrace the unknown, it spoke louder than words. And I tell you, they were the talk of the market the next day. 
Can you believe those sons of Zebedee and Simon, Simon and Andrew? Those dudes done joined a cult. Can you? That dude don't even have a church building. Matter of fact, he don't even have a bank account because he don't even have a. He's homeless. They're following a homeless man. Jesus said, the birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to live. They're following a homeless guy. I, I, knew, I knew Zebedee spoiled those boys. Are you tracking where I'm headed? The actions of Jesus so captivated them that their actions followed with no explanation needed. Because when God calls you to do something, you cannot explain it in human terminology. If you can explain it in human terminology, it's not God-sized. That's why you see all the way through the New Testament, but God, but God, <laughs> but God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. I realize that you need to go home and chew on this. Because this isn't, uh, let me pass out a little card and you sign a little commitment in private and go home and live the same way you've been living. I'm talking to you about letting your actions be louder than your words. Let me close with this illustration. Uh, I don't really know how to frame it because I still hadn't got my mind around it. But um, I, I try to live by a principle that is uh, instilled in the book's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful Influential People. And in, in that book, it has a principle where it talks to you about the circle of concern and the circle of influence. Now, the difference is the circle of concern is there's nothing you can do about it. If you worry about it enough, if you watch the news right now enough, it's going to give you a heart attack. I told this guy that, I said, you've got to quit watching the news. I need you for the long haul. You're going to have a heart attack. You keep this up. And, and all we can do is pray when it's out of our influence, when, it, when, it's, when it's out of our circle, okay? But then there's a circle of influence, which means I can make a difference right here in, in this place, in, in, in this circle. It's in your, your sphere. And I, I live by the, the, the principle that I try not to let the circle of concern occupy the majority of my thoughts and my actions lest I be paralyzed in my area of influence. And so, so the last couple of weeks, you know, there's, there's been a great deal of discussion uh, uh, about the Confederate monument at our courthouse. And so I've 
been having dialogue with my staff about that, and you know we're a multidimensional, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multicultural staff, and well, we can get into some conversations, and, and if you know here, we just try to keep it real and, and, and identify with where we are, and, and uh, man, I've just been having a hard time over that because I'm like, well, you know, man, I don't have to really have a whole lot of say if I can't do a whole lot about it, but now when it gets in my circle, well, what, 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 what do I do? You know, do I just bury my head in the sand and act like nothing, nothing happened? Or, 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 or what, what, do I, what do I do? And so uh, I said, well, I guess, I guess the least I can do is go to the meeting and show up and be accounted for. And, and uh, so, so, man, I, I, I went. And uh, when you go in, they said, well, if you want to say something, you got to sign a paper. I said, well, I don't want to say a paper, sign a paper, but... I said, but Lord, Lord, Lord knows I hate to get in there and not have a voice. So I, I filled out this, this paper, and I went in, and Ashley went in, and we were on two separate rows because of the packed house. And I'm sitting there, and conversation's going along. I'm like, well, I'm not going to say anything. I don't need to say anything. I'm, I'm, I'm good. And the person sitting, two people sitting next to me get up and walk out. And, and uh, Ashley comes around, and she sits by me, and they're talking, and they're going, and they're going. And, 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 and she leans over and, and she says, uh, <coughs> Pastor, uh, you, you, you know you got to say something. And I looked at her and I said, what? What, what? what do you want me to say? And she says, just say what you always say. And so I'm sitting there and I think, well, maybe, maybe we'll get out of this thing, you know, and and directly, the guy in charge, he looks down. Well, he see, he called me later. He said, when I, he said, when I saw your name, he said, I knew you were going to say something. Because I was going to make you say something. Because you put your name down. But, but here's what he said. If anybody can, can say something, you can. Because you're literally walking this thing out day in, day out, day in, day out. Regardless of where people are, regardless of what they have, regardless of what they don't have, regardless of what they contribute or what we have to give, regardless of color, class, culture. He said, if anybody would have something to say, a perspective, uh, I knew that you could. And, and here's my point. It had nothing to do with what I said. But for that guy, it had everything to do with what we had been doing. Because he's been watching. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Every day, somebody's watching you. And they're saying, their bumper sticker says, honk if you love Jesus. But that's not what I see. You know, you know the greatest uh, thing we can do to reach this city is to do what Jesus did and let our life do the speaking for us. The great theologian of country music put it this way in a song years gone by. They said, I love yous are cheap. 
So unless you mean them, don't spend them on me. We talk a good talk. But is our action speaking louder than our words? Would you join me at this altar and say, God, I don't know how. But may my life be my life song. May my life speak louder than my words. May God, may you use me. God, quit, 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 quit getting bogged down in the theological principles of what you don't know and walk out what you do know, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. I believe if we can walk out these five principles, we can shape the conversation. We can shape the culture. We can shape the dynamic of a city by shaping homes, by shaping streets, by shaping neighborhoods, by showing up and saying, don't do as I say, do as I do. Lord, help us. It's a heavy lift. God, let us walk it out. And Lord, our action will speak louder than words. God, have your way.